All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. As usual, any way you can engage with the podcast is greatly appreciated. Leave it a review, click like, share it, subscribe on YouTube. Also, if you truly want to support the podcast, the best and most direct way to do this is go to mindfulhunter.com slash shop, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat, helps fund the podcast and everything that I do here at Mindful Hunter. Also, um, a whole bunch of uploads on YouTube as of late. There's a tent review, there's a binocular review, there's a cell phone signal booster review, and the sheep hunt went up, you know, two and a half, three weeks ago now. So if you've missed any of that, uh, head on over to the YouTube channel and check it out. So today, our main topic is going to be primarily TRT or HRT, testosterone replacement therapy, also referred to as hormone replacement therapy. Now, in order to do a deep dive into that subject, we're going to cover kind of steroids in general, and I'm also going to give my thoughts on human growth hormone, because I think the whole TRT growth hormone conversation is something that should be had in context, because those two things can can play off of each other in, in positive ways. And the fact that I turned 43 on Monday makes this a kind of ideal point in time for this conversation, because... The conversation that we're going to have is for individuals who for either variety of reasons or just age itself have gotten to a place where testosterone is just not optimized. And what's the kind of most responsible way to go about addressing that? I don't think everybody should hop on TRT, um, but I think it's worth having a conversation and there's a bunch of shitty information out there. and I enjoy deep dives. So I've spent a lot of time researching this subject. So I just wanted to share my thoughts with you guys. So before we dig into the meat and the potatoes of the podcast, as always, we're going to do our training, diet, and gear of the week updates. So as of yesterday, I was 252 pounds. So that puts me up 18 pounds since I got back from the sheep hunt, which is close to a month ago now. I guess almost exactly a month ago, we got home from sheep and I've put on 18 pounds. And I got to say, I have never felt this good, like this agile or, or looked this good at 252 pounds. I've definitely been up this heavy before, but I was a lot fluffier and felt a lot heavier. So that's, that's positive. It goes further to my whole theory that if you're trying to get bigger, the first time you hit a new weight is always kind of dirty and shitty. And the more often you cut down and get back up to that weight, the more favorable your body composition will be at that weight. Now, one interesting note about training, everybody knows if you listen to this podcast, I'm very pro progressive overload. And I think the whole concept should be trying to beat the logbook every week. I do think there's an important nuance to that that I discovered, fortunately or unfortunately, over the past couple of weeks. And that is, it can't be at the expense of form or mind-muscle connection. So I noticed on legs, my knees were really hurting after leg day, and they don't typically do that. And I was like, what's going on? And I realized I was putting hack squats first in my routine because I was trying to get as many you know reps and as heavy as I could, and I wanted to do it before I burned them out from other exercises. So lesson number one, a heavy compound lift should never be your first lift. We should be doing something to warm up. And I also recognized my form was not ideal. And I was kind of compromising form in order to squeeze out a couple more reps. And this was putting my knees in a in a vulnerable position. It's something I shouldn't have been doing. So I kind of reset and I said, I'm going to put the logbook a couple away for a couple of weeks. And I also wasn't really feeling it in my quads. It was more about me just driving through the weight than actually feeling it. So I decided I'm going to put the logbook away for a couple of weeks and I'm just going to focus on feeling this movement. And I'm going to do a couple warm up exercises first. I don't care how heavy it gets. Um, I did that this week. I did the same thing with leg press and I feel like I had a way better workout. So I still do hold to the philosophy that I should be trying to beat last week's progress, but I realized I was doing that at the expense of some other things that were a bigger priority to muscular development and hypertrophy. So I just wanted to share that because I think that's important. And I think it's one of these two steps forward, one step back. I think 
I have a tendency to get so focused on progress that I forget about the little things. That helps me make some progress. And then I got to kind of readdress, get back into proper form and execution. And then I can drive hard um, until I hit a new plateau. Diet has been really good. Um, sticking to it pretty hard Monday to Friday. And then I go a little bit looser on the weekends, always making sure to get 250 to 300 grams of protein, even on those weekend days though. Last week I had 200 grams of carbs per meal, uh, not 200 carbs, but 200 grams of, of rice per meal. This week I've jacked it up to 250. I'm going to see how my weight and my body composition do, and then we'll take it from there. But overall training's great. Diet's great. Feeling good. Awesome. Gear of the week, the WeBoost Drive Reach. This is a cell phone signal booster. If you're looking for a more in-depth review on this, go to my YouTube channel. It's just mindful underscore hunter. And I did a really in-depth, not super in-depth, 10 minutes video review of this thing. The cliff notes are, I think it's great. It's, a, it's, it's not cheap, but it definitely works. Um, I've done several tests on it from unplugging it and plugging it in different situations. It's a 50 decibel gain booster. So it's the most powerful one they sell and one of the most powerful ones on the market. Super easy to install retails for 700 Canadian really liked the build quality, really liked the performance. If you're in the market for a cell phone booster, I think this is the one. I like that it boosts signal for an entire area inside the vehicle, and it's not just solely limited to being in a particular cradle or mount or hardwired into some device. I, I like the idea that everybody in the vehicle has access to the boosted signal. And all these things come with a, with a caveat. Like this, they, it's not magic. It's not going to give you signal where there is no single signal. But if you're on one of those fringe areas, I think this thing really shines. Um, and I think it's worth the investment if you do a lot of driving in suboptimal cell signal areas. So yeah, WeBoost, Drive, Reach. Um, it's a good product. So if you're looking for, for, for a cell signal booster, I think that's the one. All right. I kind of blasted through all that stuff really quickly because we're going to get into a really detailed topic today. And I want to have as much time as I, as I can on it without going too far over time. A couple of things I want to get out of the way, right out of the gate. I am not a doctor. This is not medical advice. This is for entertainment purposes only. I am not making any recommendations for what you should or should not do. I'm only going to share my own experience and before you even consider any of the things that we talk about on today's show, you should go see a doctor. And that's not something that I'm saying just to say, regardless of how you go about addressing this issue for yourself, you need to get blood work done as soon as possible so you can see where your markers are in a natural state. And that's going to help you make decisions moving forward. So get that out of the gate. I'm not a doctor. Don't just listen to things I say blindly. Go check them out for yourself. Do your own research. On that note, everything that I do is currently under a doctor's supervision. My testosterone is prescribed. My GH is prescribed. I go in for regular blood work. He makes recommendations for my kind of ancillary supplements. Based on my blood work, he makes changes to my protocols based on my blood work. He knows what my goals are. He's a super reasonable guy. If anybody's in the Vancouver area and wants a recommendation, just send me a DM on Instagram or shoot me an email, whatever. Um, so that's out of the way. I'm not a doctor and I go to see a doctor. So you should too. Also, I want to say I take a great amount of pride and care in my ancillary supplementation. The PEDs are the simple part. The complicated part is making sure that the rest of your kind of complex organism is healthy and operating within healthy parameters on a variety of blood markers. You need to worry about your heart, your liver, your blood glucose, your blood pressure, lots of stuff. And to be honest, not only is it more complicated, it costs more money to to, to monitor and to take all those ancillaries on a regular basis. And so 
We're going to talk about steroids and TRT and HGH today, but also if you're going to proceed down this path, and maybe that's a separate podcast, and I think maybe what to look for in blood work will be a separate podcast as well. You need to pay attention to that and don't get into this. If you're just going to do a light TRT dose, there's really nothing. It's pretty simple what you need to do. It's when you start elevating levels beyond that, that you really need to keep an eye on the rest of those markers and take the appropriate ancillary supplements. So be prepared for that. It's not cheap and you should do it to monitor your health. Now, two online resources that I want to recommend strongly This is going to sound funny, but it's a YouTube channel called More Plates, More Dates. This guy named Derek, he's Canadian. Dude is a legit genius. Um, And he does the most scientific breakdowns, including the bro science, on YouTube. Andrew Huberman would be another guy's YouTube channel I would check out. And just go through their back catalog and look. Don't just ignore all the clickbaity shit and go to like the real like educational based videos. If you want to dig into more also Reddit is a really good place for, for information. There's a couple different uh, subreddits focused on steroids and hormones that provide a lot of, of really good information. All right. So let's start with TRT. So most men as they near their forties or past their forties, tend to develop low testosterone. This is just part of the aging process. This is going to affect your mood, your libido, your confidence, concentration, memory, fatigue, strength, endurance, your sense of competitiveness. Testosterone is responsible for a lot of mood and physically related issues. And to the point where some dudes have had low testosterone their whole life and have been prescribed antidepressants when really, if you'd have just been able to balance your hormone levels, you probably wouldn't have needed to go on the antidepressants in the first place. Um, Now, my story starts almost five years ago. I was doing my MBA full-time while running an engineering firm full-time. I had just had my daughter. We had just moved houses. It was as flat out as I had ever been in my life. I was waking up every morning at 4 a.m. I was doing MBA school work from 4 to 7 a.m., getting ready, um, helping my wife with my daughter, and then driving to work till 8, working till 5, coming home, doing family stuff. And then every other Friday and Saturday, I was in school 10 hours a day doing my MBA. And on top of that, I was a competitive jujitsu athlete. So flat out. And essentially I just started to break down. I started to feel less than ideal. I started to feel kind of depressed, which is rare for me. I started to be tired all the time. My libido essentially just disappeared. I didn't even, it wasn't even on my mind at all. Um, I started to feel like a little emotional at times. And I was like, I just don't feel like myself. And so I decided to go in and get tested. I had extraordinarily low testosterone. It was like in the 200s. Depending on what what test you get, it's more important where you are in regards to the reference range. But the reference range for this particular test was like the low 400s. So I was well outside the lower boundary of a healthy reference range for testosterone. So looked around talked to some doctors, got some opinions, and decided that I was going to go on testosterone replacement therapy. Now, in Canada, it is not a terribly difficult thing to do. You can even, there's lots of naturopath clinics um, that you can go that specialize, like anti-aging clinics will specialize in hormones and hormone replacement therapy. You can even get growth hormone prescribed to you here in Canada. Um, so it, that should not be a barrier to hold you back. The trick though, I will say is finding the right doctor. Most doctors who don't, who are not endocrinologists or who don't focus on this as a specialty have a really skewed belief about what, like my, my, my business partner, they wouldn't even test his testosterone. He was going in to get blood work done. And he's like, I'd like to see my testosterone levels. And the doctor's like, oh, there's no need. And I get really pissed off. Like, 
I don't care what the need is. I want to know. And and I, I, this is supposed to be a free country. Just put the extra test on the on the list. The issue in Canada is you cannot request blood work privately in Canada. In the states, you can literally just go online, fill out a profile. Of, of all the different markers you want checked. It spits out a requisition form. You walk into a private lab. They draw your blood. Three days later, results get uploaded and you get to see all your markers. Does not require a single doctor visit. Super clean, super easy. And it's your own blood. Like it just, I don't, I have no understanding whatsoever about why we can't check our own blood in Canada. And I need some Yahoo doctor to, to allow me to see what my own blood markers are. Anyways, Take the time and find the right guy. Because now that I have the right guy, it's like an email away. I send an email. This is what I want to look at. Go in the next day, take some blood. A few days later, get an email. Boom, done. Super easy. Um, so that's important. You got to find you got to find the right guy. Now, one thing that I think is important to note here, because I had considered going on a cycle of steroids when I was younger and weightlifting a lot. And the thing that really held me back was the fact that when you take exogenous testosterone, it shuts down your endogenous endocrines. Well, it shuts down your production of endogenous testosterone, which is done through the endocrine system. Now, if you took one shot of testosterone, that doesn't mean you're never going to take testosterone again, or you're never going to produce testosterone again in your life, but it exists along, along, a, along a spectrum. So the more you take and the longer you take it, the harder it is for your own endocrine system to start back up. Also, the older you take it, the harder it is to start your own endocrine system back up. So there's really two schools of thoughts in steroids. There's the Blast and Cruise guys, and there's the Blast and PCT guys. And we're going to talk like actual bodybuilding, like legitimate cycle steroid usage here now. So what those guys would do is they would go on for, let's say, 16 to 20 weeks, and they would take a big blast cycle. We can get into what that would look like later. And then they come off, and they PCT. PCT is post-cycle therapy. And essentially, you're using a combination of drugs, could be HCG, Clomid, Nolvidex, um, um, Tamoxifen, a variety of others, depending on which protocol you, f you follow. You come off the testosterone. You go through this protocol of like waiting a few weeks and then different dosages of different drugs, and that helps kickstart your own endocrine system as well. And this, I would say, is the classic approach to bodybuilding. And when I was younger, it just scared the hell out of me. The idea that I would like screw up or get gynecomastia, bitch tits, or, you know, when I was on, like there was just so many unknowns. There wasn't a lot of information available online. I didn't really know anybody in that world. So I just didn't do it because I, I was I, I didn't understand and I was kind of afraid of the consequences. And I'm going to tie this all back because when you're in your 40s and you start TRT, what you're kind of doing is making a decision that you're going to be on TRT for the rest of your life. Because even if you have a reduced ability to produce testosterone now, after taking exogenous testosterone, you know, external in a bottle, you are going to even reduce that further. So now that I've been on TRT for four or five years, my own endocrine system is not ideal. I would not want to stop taking TRT at this point. Um, it would probably take a long time for me to get back up into even anything close to a healthy range. And there's actually been, so that brings us back to the second type of bodybuilder, blast and cruise. These guys would take big cycles and then in between the big cycles, they would come down to a cruise dose, which they would call TRT, but we're going to get into the different kind of levels of TRT here in a moment. They would go down to this cruise dose, and then that would negate the need to kickstart your own endocrine system because you would still be supplying a lower dose of testosterone, but it wouldn't be high enough that your lipids, your cholesterol would be going through the roof your AST and ALT, your liver blood markers would come back down into normal reference range. It would be like just enough to keep you healthy without producing all the negative side effects. You'd run that two, three, four, five months, depending on what your plans were. And then you'd go back on a blast. 
most people thought the PCT route was healthier. A lot of the research coming out these days is actually showing that the blast and cruise route is a little bit healthier because going all the way down to no testosterone and then restarting your endocrine system repetitively has been shown to have a lot of negative side effects. Now, that's not really the conversation we're here to have today, but I just think it's important to note that there are different kind of modalities or or protocols when it comes to steroid and, and TRT usage. And the point I want to drive home is if you're in your 40s and you're considering going on TRT, make this decision carefully because you're kind of making, you're not kind of, you're, you're making a decision for the rest of your life. You're making a decision that you're going to go on testosterone for the rest of your life. So now that we've talked a little bit about bodybuilding use and TRT use, let's assign some different categories. True TRT or HRT is somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's say, 120 to 160 milligrams per week. For the average male, this is going to be enough testosterone to place you in the upper range of what would be considered healthy. And I think even getting up into the 160 milligram per week is probably putting you at like 900 or 1,000, like you're probably going to top out. Now, everybody metabolizes, metabolizes testosterone differently, which is why it's important to have a doctor and why it's important to do regular blood work. You're going to be prescribed a protocol. You're going to take that protocol for four to five weeks. Because of the way testosterone is manufactured and it's basically distilled with different oils of different esters that have different half-lives, it takes four to five weeks. Even if you start injecting testosterone tomorrow and you're taking 160 milligrams per week, it takes four to five weeks to get up to saturation levels to where you're now actually experiencing the elevated testosterone levels that you would be from having 160 milligrams exogenous testosterone per week. So you would take a protocol, you would wait four to five weeks, you'd go in and get your blood work. You'd say, how's my estrogen? How are my lipids? How's my liver looking? Look at a couple other things. Where's my testosterone at? And then you would tweak. So that's true TRT. So if you're just a dude who's looking to optimize you don't have any specific goals in mind, but you want, you know, your mood to improve. You'd like a little bit better physical performance, you know, et cetera. You're going to be in that 120 to 160 range. Now, the the kind of new thing that everybody, they call it TRT, but people who actually know what they're talking about call it either sports TRT or TRT plus. Now, for most people, this is in the like, 200 to 300 milligrams per week. I would say 250 is probably the average TRT plus or sports TRT dosage. And now we're talking super physiological doses. This is going to have you right off the end of the scale for almost every guy, depending on how you metabolize, metabolize testosterone. And you're most likely going to be needing to introduce some type of aromatase inhibitor, which I'm going to get into to manage estrogen. And I'm going to get into that in a bit. But there, this is almost a, like a compromise of, of sorts because it's TRT. You're not on a full cycle. Your, your blood markers aren't going to get blown out the roof. It's kind of quasi healthy. Don't get me wrong. There's some compromises. This is not where your body wants to exist. So you're, you are going to be paying a bit of a price for having testosterone that high, but it's like one of these things that I'd, I'd say is manageable if you know what you're doing. And you're going to get the additional benefits. You're going to get the endurance benefits. You're going to get the performance benefits. You're going to get the hypertrophy and the recovery benefits. Like, yeah, if you're, you know, competing or, you know, training for something or, you know, have some really ambitious physical goals, this is the level that you're probably going to be at. Sorry, my dog is running around the room right now. Come on, lay down. My dog's name is Pickle, by the way. If any of you are watching on video right now, you can see him. If you're listening on audio, you cannot. He is a golden doodle, and my daughter named him. He's a year old. We share the same birthday. Okay, so now we have TRT, and we have TRT Plus, or sports TRT. And then finally, we have full-on blast. 
So a, a, a first cycle for somebody is going to be in the neighborhood of 400 to 500 milligrams of testosterone per week. You know, pro bodybuilders, most of them are probably on anywhere. The healthy guys are probably going to be around a gram and a half of gear per week. The, the unhealthy guys are probably, you know, there's guys definitely north of three grams of gear per week plus GH plus probably insulin and a bunch of other stuff. And this is like, now you're starting to shave years off your life. Like, don't kid yourself. This is hard on your body and something you don't want to do unless you have really carefully considered it. We're not going to talk about that a whole lot here today. That's not my specialty. Well, none of this is my specialty, but that's not something I've spent nearly as much time looking into. I just, I think we've come a long way from this like steroids are bad mentality that I would say is prevalent 10, 15, 20 years ago to a more nuanced understanding where steroids, AAS, anabolic androgenic steroids, are things that you can use to change your hormone levels. And you can do that in a healthy way and you can do that in an unhealthy way. And PED use exists along a spectrum. And just because you say you're taking steroids doesn't necessarily mean you're a 300 pound juice monkey who's going to have a heart attack when he's 45. You could just be like a regular dad who's 40 and doesn't want to be depressed and wants to feel a little bit more like you did when you're in your 30s. And there's nothing wrong with that. So let's just appreciate that testosterone use exists along a spectrum and there's a smart way to do it and a not so smart way to do it. All right, next topic, aromatase inhibitors. So let's drop a little science. In men, this is different in women, but most of the people who are listening and I am not going to discuss PED usage for women whatsoever because I have zero experience in that. I don't want to I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to support it. I don't, it's not, yeah, we're going to steer way clear of that. So if you are a man, you produce testosterone naturally, then your liver produces an enzyme called aromatase. This aromatase in enzyme metabolizes the testosterone and breaks it down into a couple of different forms of estrogen. Now we need estrogen for healthy metabolic processes, for a variety of things. It's very healthy. Now, the ratio of aromatase produced to testosterone produced in a natural male kind of caps that estrogen at a healthy level. Now, obviously, sometimes there's issues, and this is why like guys go through puberty and get bitch tits because they didn't you know, their, their aromatase to testosterone levels were inappropriate. Estrogen got too high, like weird things happen. Um, there can be certain deficiencies, but like in a regular male, your aromatase to testosterone ratios are going to be modulated in a way that will keep your estrogen at a healthy level. When you start to introduce exogenous testosterone, now you kind of have an infinite amount of testosterone and aromatase kicking around, and you can get extremely elevated levels of estrogen. This is not good. This results in like gynecomastia or oily skin. It can mess with your sleep. Now, crashed E2 or estradiol, which is the marker that they use to monitor estrogen. You don't actually measure the amount of estrogen in your blood directly. Crashing your estrogen like to zero is also super unhealthy. And I would argue probably more unhealthy than having super elevated estrogen. But just understand this, if you're going to introduce exogenous testosterone, you need to manage your estrogen. And this is probably the most pain in the ass part of the whole thing, because it kind of takes multiple blood tests to really dial in where that's supposed to be. That's why people who mess around with underground labs and don't get the right blood work and it, like it really gives the whole space a bad name because you're not monitoring your blood markers appropriately. So the two most popular aromatase inhibitors are Arimidex, Arimidex and Aromacin. Now these operate differently. I would say Aromacin is slightly milder and operates 
kind of by limiting aromatase itself. And a Rimidex is, I think it's called like a suicide inhibitor. It actually attaches itself to aromatase and then blocks the uptake of testosterone. So you can't, you can't module, you can't actually even metabolize the estrogen in the first place. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you need to understand if you're going to introduce exogenous testosterone, you need to monitor your estrogen and you will potentially need to take an aromatase inhibitor in order to modulate the level of estrogen present in your body at any given time. Now, for those individuals on true TRT, that 120 to 160, likely no AIs are needed at all. And if so, very minimal. The guys on sports TRT, a little bit more potential that you're going to need a higher dose. And then when you get on full on blasts, like, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's going to be a need for probably pretty drastic AI usage. A little bit of a side note, but when guys are getting ready for competitions in bodybuilding, they will take, and this is more of an old school approach, but they will actually take two or three different aromatase inhibitors at the same time and just crash their estrogen right through the floor. And the reason that they do this is that's how they, that's one of the contributing factors to getting that crazy kind of skinless grainy look. It's, it's gone somewhat out of favor in the past couple of years because people are realizing there's like smarter ways to achieve the same look that doesn't, that don't, don't have the same kind of drawbacks. But AIs are very powerful drugs. So again, this is something that you want to do uh, very carefully and you want to do blood work on a regular basis, at least until you figure out where you are and what a regular kind of dose look like. Now let's take a moment and talk about the difference between UGLs, underground laboratory, and pharma. So these are the kind of terms used in these type of circles. Like you would say, you know, is your test pharma, is your GH from a UGL? So there's an underground kind of infrastructure that just like with any, you know, illegal substance that manufactures and distributes these things. Um, I'm not here to recommend engaging in that activity um, or condoning it. I have no opinion on it whatsoever, to be honest with you. But if somebody is considering that, there's a couple things you need to understand. And this is going to be common sense for most people, but obviously things that are not produced in a pharmaceutical grade facility are not going to have the same tolerances or the same adhesion to quality that a pharmaceutical grade facility would have. Which basically means, okay, you're probably buying testosterone, but but how, what's it dosed at? Are you sure it's 250 milligrams per milliliter? Maybe it's 300, maybe it's 200. There's been no third-party testing. You know, you're buying your Arimidex. Is it really one milligram or 0.1 milligram in that, in that tab? Is it, you know, is it maybe 0.8? Is it maybe 1.2? And let's hypothetically say you were going to proceed down this route because you didn't have access to the right doctor or you wanted to do it yourself or or whatever. The, the legal complications aside, the true issue is that the, the reliability of the drugs come into question. So we've talked a lot today about finding the protocol that's going to work for you monitoring your blood work to make sure that those doses work for you. Then once you're set and your doctor's happy, you can just go and go in, you know, twice a year to get checkups and make sure everything's good. The problem with using UGL stuff is that like, you never really know what's in there. So maybe this dose with that dose keeps everything happy. You go and you let some blood work. Great. But the next time you re-up now, you know, fuck, I don't know, man, maybe it's the same, maybe it's not the same. So you're kind of in this never ending cycle of never knowing where you're really at. And we'll get into other compounds here in a moment. Some compounds like testosterone are so readily available that 
nobody really fakes testosterone because it's just not economically viable. It's not worth it. But you get into things like Primo, which is an extremely expensive AAS. There's a lot of fake Primo floating around. So again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand that a lot of the things that I have mentioned here today apply to pharma grade drugs. They do not apply to UGL grade drugs. And growth hormone is the prime example. Growth hormone is extremely expensive. And a lot of the UGL stuff is just like a combination of peptides that produce some of the same side effects without the actual desired effects of the drug. It gets really complicated. But just just recognize that there is a lot of complication induced when you decide to go that UGL route. And what I'm saying is, For most of my listeners who are in their late 30s, early 40s, and are legitimately looking for TRT, it's just not worth it, man. Just go have the embarrassing conversation with your doctor, find a doctor that you can relate to and that understands where you're coming from, and then and do it above the board because then you can travel with your AAS. I can get on planes with my testosterone. They can pull out my AIs at the airport and it doesn't matter. It's all legal and prescribed. Um there's just a lot of benefit, especially for us here in Canada. I mean, TRT is even easier in the States because they just got TRT clinics where like they can't get growth hormone prescribed, but you literally, you just go in, see somebody do some blood work. They give you the TRT. It's even way simpler than that. Okay. We've talked about a lot. A couple more topics I want to bang out. This is a little bit more high level and maybe something not a lot of you care about, but I want to talk about the steroid family tree. So a lot of people get confused when like, oh, testosterone is not a steroid. What is a steroid? What does AAS stand for? What does that even mean? So AAS, anabolic androgenic steroid. Anabolism is the ability to build tissue. Androgenicity or an androgen refers to male characteristics or I guess things that when metabolized induce male characteristics. So that's why when chicks take steroids, their voice gets deepened. It's not the anabolic characteristics of the steroids. It's the androgenic capacity of the steroids. This is the same reason a lot of dudes go bald. There's a thing called dihydrotestosterone, which when testosterone 5-alpha reduces into dihydrotestosterone, um, creates or facilitates male pattern baldness. This is why um, minoxidil, which is Rogaine or finasteride, which is a pill you take, is a DHT, dihydrotestosterone inhibitor. So minoxidil, which is the active ingredient in Rogaine, is something you put on your head and it's a topical DHT inhibitor so that when the DHT metabolizes and kind of comes out your skin and it would normally produce those androgenic effects, it would expedite or speed up the process of male pattern baldness. The minoxidil is supposed to reduce that capability to some degree and either slow or even potentially reverse that process. All that is to give us the context to understand that there are a variety of different steroids, testosterone being one of them, and all of these steroids have a different ratio of androgenic to anabolic activity. It's widely believed that the testosterone is like one-to-one. It's kind of the granddaddy of all of them. So it'd be a one-to-one ratio. So it has equal capabilities to induce anabolism and androgenicity. So other steroids can have heightened, you know, 0.5 to 1 or 1 to 2. They can have different levels of abilities. And most people would argue that the steroids that were created later, things like primabolin, uh, decadurabolin, masterone, have more favorable anabolic to androgenic ratios. I'm not going to get into like every single steroid and what 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 makes some good and what makes some bad and why people use different ones. I just wanted people to understand there are three primary groups of steroids, and this is what most people refer to 
as the steroid family tree. Oh, another great source of information is a guy called Brandon Chavez. Um, and he has, I think his company is called Evil Genius Strength and Performance, something like that. And he has a membership site with a ton of really good information and provides a more academic approach to talking about PEDs. Essentially, okay, steroid family tree. In the middle, we have testosterones. Now, what's important to note is that anything in this family tree aromatizes, aromatizes into estrogen. The reason that's important to know is that if you take a steroid that does not aromatase into estrogen, the you could have you will end up in a spot where you essentially have zero estrogen or crassed estrogen, which is negative. So this is why anybody who's ever looked at bodybuilding, they've always said you need a testosterone base to your cycle. So even let's say test and deca, super popular cycle. Um, the reason the test is in there is that deca doesn't aromatase. So you should be able to take or at least it doesn't at the rate of testosterone. So you should be able to take the testosterone. That's going to help you um, create enough estrogen to maintain healthy. And then you can increase your anabolic activity with a secondary steroid that doesn't have as much androgenic capabilities, but if taken alone, wouldn't help you metabolize the appropriate estrogen that you need. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's essentially why everybody has always said you need testosterone base. You don't need testosterone specifically. Arguably, you just need something within this family tree. And even in a deeper level than that, you can. there's even other ways to satisfy those particular needs, but we're not. that's too deep for the conversation we're going to have today. Things within this, this family tree uh, would be equipoise, also called boldenone or dianabol. If anybody's ever looked into the kind of golden era of bodybuilding and Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's what those guys were taking. And most people today would say, you can't take an oral only cycle. Dianabol is an oral pill that you swallow because it doesn't have your test base, blah, 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 blah. What people don't understand is that Dianabol comes from the testosterone family. So it has the same capacity as testosterone to aromatize into estrogen. So you can indeed take a Dianabol only cycle. Now, Orals are extremely liver toxic. So if you're going to take an oral only cycle, it can be done, but you're beating the shit out of your liver. Um, it is not recommended and no one today would do such a thing because there's way smarter ways to do it. But that's what that's what Arnie did. Took a shitload of Dianabol. Um, now to the right of the testosterone family, we have the nandrolone or the 19 nors. And there's really two big drugs in here. Nandrolone. Most people call nandrolone DECA. DECA is actually the ester, not the steroid. So it would be like decadurabolin. Um, DECA stands for decanoate. Decanoate is the ester that the, or the oil base that the steroid is kind of created or, or mixed with in order that for your body to metabolize Testosterone is typically mixed with either enanthate or cypionate. So when you go to get your prescription, they will either give you testosterone enanthate or testosterone cypionate. There's other ones like propanate, and you can get testosterone to can weight as well. Um, but anyways, to the right of that family tree is nandrolone, which is DECA, and trenbolone. And I'm kind of chuckling as even I say it, because like tren is probably, I don't want to say the most popular steroid. It is the one that is closest to being like pretty, you know, game changing. Like you can tell who's on trend when you go to the gym, like people get kind of red, hypervascular. It has an ability to partition carbohydrates that none of the other steroids do. So it's, uh, it, you tend to be able to burn fat while still bulking, but it is hyper neurotoxic. Like it is hands down the worst steroid for you on the planet. Does every single professional bodybuilder take it during prep? I would say 95% of them do. There are definitely pro bodybuilders who have 
one pro shows who didn't take Tren, but it's pretty rare. What I will say about Tren is it is like, it's like the, it's like the nuclear bomb of the steroid world. I would say it's good to have it, you know, if that's your, your goal, but how often do you really want to use it? I would say is as little as possible. So over on that side of the family tree, we got Deca, which is Nandrolone, and we got Tren. On the other side of the family tree, these are the dihydrotestosterones. Now, dihydrotestosterone has already been 5-alpha reduced from testosterone, which means that it does not metabolize or aromatize into estrogen. These are considered dry compounds. They're dry because they don't create estrogen, which means they don't help you retain water, and there's a bunch of other stuff going on there. DECA would be considered a wet compound. Dianabol would be considered a wet compound. These tend to give guys like puffy moon faces. And anyways, going on a DHT only cycle is bad because you do not have the ability to metabolize that drug into estrogen. That's going to create complications downstream. However, some of these drugs have a higher anabolic to androgenic ratio. So most people, these are what you add to your testosterone base. Now, classically, these would have been considered your like cutting drugs or your hardening drugs. So things like masterone are, are things that people would take near the end of a prep cycle when getting ready for a show. A lot of that research has been called into question lately. Again, not really important to note. Just important to note that some PEDs have the ability to be aromatized into estrogen and some don't. And taking a PED, taking only one PED and having it not have the ability to metabolize estrogen is a bad thing. Again, not a lot of these are available via prescription. So if you're doing what I recommend doing, you're not going to be in the position where you need to worry about this. Um, that's all we really need to cover for steroids and HGH at the, or steroids and TRT at the moment. Now let's get into HGH. So human growth hormone. I find this is kind of less widely used than TRT for sure, primarily because of the cost basis. And most, and it's something you have to inject every day. Most TRT protocols would be one or two times a week at most. Okay, let's have a conversation about HGH or GH or growth hormone. So growth hormone is responsible for things like muscle and bone growth, heart function, fat metabolism, your skin health, general longevity characteristics. Um, it is something that when taken at a very small dose produces minimal to no side effects. Um, and when taken at a very large dose can be extremely dangerous. So again, everything should be done through doctor's supervision. Most people talk about growth hormone dosages in IUs. So there are three IUs per milligram of growth hormone. An average dose, like I guarantee Rogan is on growth. Guys like Dan Bilzerian are on growth. Matt McConaughey is on growth. Like I don't think anyone over 40 who has a net worth north of a million dollars a year is not on growth because like it's just such a no-brainer if you have the money to afford it. Because it doesn't even, here's the thing, when you take exogenous testosterone, it shuts down your endogenous production of testosterone. Growth hormone doesn't work like that. Growth hormone is produced in the pituitary, not in the gonads. Now, and it's also produced primarily at night. And the longer you sleep, the more that is produced. And if you do take exogenous testosterone at night, your body will note that presence of that exogenous growth hormone, and it will not produce any growth hormone that night. But the very next night, if you stop taking the growth, the pituitary gland would just kick back in. It doesn't have the same like shutting down the entire system effect that testosterone does. So that's another reason why so many people use this, and most people don't talk about it. Like I said, when you get an extremely higher doses, because it's affecting IGF and other kind of 
signaling effects within the body, you start to need the need, you start to introduce the need for more um, ancillary supplements like T3 or T4, T4 mostly, so um, which is like a thyroid drug. T4 is the precursor to thyroid that cause, that when metabolized creates thyroid, T3 is actual synthetic thyroid. Um, so, and insulin as well. So if you take elevated levels of growth hormone for too long, you're gonna reduce your, your insulin sensitivity, which means you won't be producing enough insulin to like break down the carbohydrates that you ingest. So most guys on really high doses of GH are taking exogenous T4 and exogenous insulin. So this is not a conversation we wanna have here. This is not something I've ever done. This is not something probably anybody who listened to this podcast will ever do, but I just wanna note it because the PED usage exists along a spectrum. And again, just like with TRT, and this is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast, because I don't want people to have this like blanket perception of all these drugs. I think there are ways to optimize when you use things very intelligently and very conservatively and monitor the appropriate markers on a regular basis. And then there's ways to just blast through the moon and probably shave 20 years off your life. We're all going to exist over here on the other end where we just want to be optimized and kick ass for a few more years, you know, into our older age. So everything that we talk about, we're like two units a day. That's where all these guys that I was just mentioning, I guarantee all of them are at two units a day. They probably take it when they wake up fasted. Some guys would be at four units a day and would maybe take it when they wake up fasted and then potentially a second dose after training. There is an argument that depending on your goal, fat metabolism or hypertrophy, that growth is take is is more optimally taken at different times during the day. We're not going to get into all that. It doesn't really matter, but just in case somebody's listening, I do recognize who understands this in a deeper level, I do recognize that there there is a debate and there are different times to create kind of different strategies. Most people, even though it's not, growth is not even what I would consider a fat burner, but it affects how you metabolize fat and it makes you more efficient at metabolizing fat. So most people think, that's why guys will take it during a prep. And in my opinion, it's it's actually more beneficial during a bulk. And we don't really need to get into that. But that's why most people would take it on fasted. First thing is you wake up in the morning because that's when it's most ideal to increase your ability to metabolize fat. Next up, HGH is crazy expensive. So let's take this super conservative dose, two IUs a day, that is gonna run you about $500 a month or $6,000 a year. And to be quite honest with you, there's not gonna be anything drastically life-changing about it. In my opinion, you better have some legitimate disposable income before you're considering GH use. Because remember when we just talked about potentially using it during a bulk, most people would say how big you're going to get is decided by your genetics. And that's a hard cap. The argument to that is that GH has been shown to have the ability to increase the number of satellite cells and that beyond your genetic potential. So at higher doses, you could theoretically get bigger than your genetic blueprint would have determined should have been your cap. Most pro bodybuilders, I would say are probably around eight IUs per day. And I've heard stories firsthand of people in like 18 to 20 IUs a day. We're talking hundreds of dollars of GH every single day. And that's going to be accompanied with hardcore insulin use, hardcore T3 and T4 use, like not a road any of us are interested in going down. But even at the four I use, I use a day, which I would consider like the heavy end of the conservative route, you're at a thousand bucks a month, man. And that's pharma rates. Like, I don't care what pharmacy you go to, um, that's what you're going to pay for growth hormone. So I think it's one of these things that if it was the same price as testosterone, I which is like very cheap, I would have a hard time not saying like everybody should be on a, just a little bit of growth. Like it's so funny having this conversation, but it, yeah, 
a little bit of GH, like two IUs a day, I would have a hard time not saying like everybody over their mid mid thirties to mid forties should be on that. But the bottom line is it's just super expensive. The other thing that's a fairly significant pain in the ass is that in order to go on GH, you have to get, you have to do two 24 hour piss tests where you can't drink coffee and there's a bunch of, you can't have sex, you can't work out strenuously. There's a bunch of shit you can't do. And basically the only true way to monitor your growth horn production is to capture, capture an entire day's worth of, worth of urine. So like first piss when you wake up in the morning until the last piss, and you got to carry this orange jug around with you all day. They then monitor your, they, they check that. That shows how much growth you're naturally producing. Then they will give you a prescription for some kind of growth, some level of growth, and then you go on that for two or three weeks and then you go back in and you do the exact same thing all over again. They see, has that gotten us to the appropriate location? Yes, it has. Okay, you're good to go. Or no, it hasn't. We change your prescription and you come back in another three weeks and you do it again. So pain in the ass to go on, super expensive, but when used responsibly, essentially zero side effects. And like, you know, I would say like pretty mild beneficial um, effects. And it's not until you get into those heavier doses where you're going to see like, oh, holy shit, like this is, you know, drastically changing my physique. But again, there's so many other complications. And that's like, that's one of the themes I want to get across here today is that like the side effects at minimal dose done responsibly and conservatively with most of these PEDs are pretty minimal and sometimes no, no side effects at all if done appropriately with the right supervision. But people like they, they, they you know, if a little bit, if a little bit is good, more is better. And then they start ramping up all their doses and they don't go back in and get all their blood markers checked. And then that, that's when all this like high blood pressure and, you know, male pattern baldness and like gynecomastia and like all these like really shitty side effects start to creep in. So that's why I want to have this conversation because I think for a lot of guys in my position, there is an argument to be made that some responsible TRT use, and if you've got the money, some responsible HGH use can really improve the quality of your life with little to no side effects. Um, and it, it overall can be a very beneficial thing to your life. But I think you got to stay within a certain spectrum. Okay, so let's just do a quick recap of everything that we just talked about. So for TRT, a regular TRT dose for people is like 120 to 160 milligrams per week. That's going to require minimal to no aromatase inhibitors. That's going to require minimum ancillaries. It's not going to affect your blood pressure for the most part. You're, you're going to be relatively healthy. And somewhere in the neighborhood of like one to three IUs of GH per day is going to be enough to provide some mild beneficial longevity characteristics and health improvement characteristics without the need to introduce any exogenous insulin or thyroid medication. And all of these things would need to be monitored regularly, regularly with, with, with blood work. You, you know, it's all available via prescription here in Canada. Um, I would highly recommend finding a doctor that you're comfortable with if you're going to proceed down that route. But that's kind of, you know, the responsible approach to TRT GH use as you kind of hit your 40s and start to feel the kind of, you know, the impact of getting a little bit older and having an endocrine system that just does not operate how you were when you're in your 20s. All right. It's kind of like a fire hose worth of information. I was a little hesitant to even have this conversation because I'm not an expert, but I do feel like by constraining myself to things that I have studied and that I have talked to my doctor about, I could shed some light on things. If anybody has any additional questions, please feel free to drop it in the comment section below. Shoot me an email at j at mindfulhunter.com. Send me a DM on Instagram, mindful underscore hunter. I'm not going to get into recommendations of any kind with anyone. However, I'm happy to provide, you know, my clinic's information or, you know, any of that type of helpful information, but I'm not getting into like cycles and all that kind of stuff. Cause that's just not what I'm into. Um, 
And as always, if you could engage with the podcast in any way, shape, or form, it would be greatly appreciated. Likes, comments, subscriptions, share it, love it. And if you truly want to directly support the podcast, mindfulhunter.com slash shop, buy a hat or a t-shirt, and that helps fund all this stuff that I'm doing. So again, until next time, thanks for tuning in.